One of the things that I'm most proud of for in-store bakery is we are currently the only department year to date that is seeing not just dollar growth, but units and trip frequency hold steady despite inflationary pressures. Welcome to Send Sliced Bread. I'm your host, Charlotte Ashley, editor of Baking and Snack. Whether bread and rolls, sweet goods and snack cakes, or cookies and crackers, you're probably selling your product into a variety of channels. In season 12 of Sense Sliced Bread, we're taking a look at how some of the main channels for bakery and snacks have changed over the past three years and how you can better adapt your portfolio and business to meet the needs of your customers. In this episode, we welcome back Jonna Parker, Team Lead for Fresh at IRI, to give us some insight into how the in-store bakery is doing these days and what opportunities this section of the supermarket offers bakers. Welcome to Send Slice Bread, Jana. Thanks so much for having me back, Charlotte. Definitely one of my highlights of the year. We know the last few years in the food industry have been wild. How have the needs of the in-store bakery changed, that customer changed for the commercial baker? I think it's important you know, so much of the in-store bakery has been a subject in both good and bad of macro food trends. And as we look back at these last three years, we as a bakery industry for my 20 years that I've been here and working in this space, we've been able to pretty much look at the few years before and make a few tweaks and say, that's what our go forward plan is going to look like. But these last three years have been so disruptive in the consumer demand space that I think it's critically important that we look at those more than just, hey, how do we do in 19, 20, and 21? Because it was honestly our disruptions in consumer demand that drove why the bakery was having different experiences in sales and in in-store bakery. So first off, of course, 2020 was the year that everything became much more homebound. And I think our takeaway as we look back is I don't think we would have had a way to know how dependent as a department we had become on gatherings and special occasions without them suddenly evaporating overnight from our um, consumer mindset. And so that year, of course, retailers were really scrambling because so much dollar revenue and even foot traffic had really been anchored on if you're having a holiday party, if you're having a birthday gathering, if you're bringing snacks to the soccer game. So we weren't having birthday parties, holiday gatherings, and soccer games. We really had to scramble. But guess what? Consumers still voted with their dollars and showed us that the perimeter in-store bakery is a place they want to buy food from. That year, we became a destination for hybrid or homebound workers who had suddenly stopped going out to coffee shops. We became a space to get just a few sweet treats to have on the counter when you were super tired of cooking and not quite sure when you were going to be able to go back to the gym or the daycare or the office again. And so 2020 actually was a year where the bakery had a differentiated balance between center store and perimeter, but it also had a differentiated balance between the categories that contributed sales and growth. And as we entered 21, I think many retailers I'd talked with who hadn't really gotten deep into the consumer side of their business were looking for a return right? A lot of folks were looking for a return to graduation parties and big parties. And obviously the Delta variant and several other changes of 2021 dealt us an unexpected blow. But when I look across 21 and now even into 22, 
what I'm seeing again are consumer demand pockets that really are not just the current, but also the future space for bakery. The need for things to have on hand that you don't have to bake yourself, either partially or from scratch, to have for breakfast or as a sandwich carrier, those things like croissants and muffins and donuts have come back with a vengeance this year. And the perimeter is more advantaged than other aisles of the store because of, yes, the freshness with that illusion of quality, but also the variety and the ability to buy just what you need in various sizes, not just from the bulk bins, but even in our packaged goods. And I'd say the other big learning that we had over the last three years that's planning to really sit with us for a long time is we as an industry had often discussed how much is enough when it comes to back of house or commissary fresh baking or in-store baking. When we couldn't have the labor, or frankly, we couldn't even go to the store to do the kinds of things we used to do back of house, those types of items were not able to be delivered. And many retailers were forced to change over to third-party thaw and sell. But guess what? If those products are done right and they have the quality, the sizing, the variety that consumers are looking for, placement in perimeter bakery to a consumer is an illusion of having it made in store or at least being fresher than something in the packaged or frozen aisle. So we learned that not everything in the in-store bakery needs to be baked in store. I think that balance still holds true today when the conversation is much less about COVID and much more about inflation and labor costs. You know, the last piece I'll say on what we've learned with inflation and labor, I'm sure two things we're going to go deeper in during this conversation, but one of the things that I'm most proud of for in-store bakery is we are currently the only department year to date that is seeing not just dollar growth, but units and trip frequency hold steady despite inflationary pressures. What that means to me is that consumers want the foods that we're delivering in the in-store bakery and the perimeter department, even though the price of those foods is up year over year. No other department in the store can claim that. That's really incredible considering the fact that the in-store bakery is typically where the consumer goes to get their quote-unquote premium item Mm -hmm. and that even as the prices and the fact that the in-store bakery is moving in some cases away from baked in-house product too. So like you have these two truths happening where the in-store bakery is learning, the retailers are learning, we don't necessarily have to be baking off fresh every day to still be providing the consumer with a premium product or a product they perceive as being more premium than what they're finding in the commercial aisle to still gain that consumer's dollar. It's really important that we look at everything that we sell in the way consumers look at it, which is a continuum of solutions. And one of the phenomenons that I've started to talk about this year, and we've studied a lot at IRI, is trade-offs are not as simple in the consumer's mind as it looks to us when we're looking at black and white numbers on a page. Mm -hmm. So for example, the concept of premium versus mainstream is simple when you're talking about laundry detergent or even in the sliced bread aisle, um, where a product is similar size, but maybe you're choosing based on a brand or a benefit that's listed on the item. When it comes to perimeter bakery, there are so many other things you could buy instead of that item. And to be honest, when you look at it in that continuum, bakery becomes an affordable luxury, not a premium choice. 
it also becomes a way to fight food waste. And so we think of it less as a premium versus mainstream choice, as you might when you're sitting again in the canned vegetable aisle where there's two cans of green beans and they both are the same size, but one is a, a brand or maybe one is a, a, a flavor. Most things in the in-store bakery don't look anything like the things in other parts of the store. And so that trade-off becomes, gosh, I'm standing here and I'm really tired of serving the same, you know, low budget hamburger helper meal. Um, gosh, if I buy this $1.50 bread, it's really going to make the family feel like this is a little bit special of the night. That $1.50 then isn't a trade-off between a $3.99 package of white bread. It's a trade-off between have and have not. And $1.50 suddenly becomes a great affordable luxury since what you used to do, right, is maybe go out for ice cream after dinner or maybe go to a restaurant versus having to continually cook at home. In-store bakery is that affordable luxury. I think it also is a way, a humongous asset actually for consumers to control quantity. Mm. So for example, you can now buy two baguettes. You can buy a take and bake baguette. You can buy just a half loaf. All of those options are in the perimeter bakery in a way they're not in the sliced bread or packaged center store goods aisle, right? If you want to buy snack cakes, you have to buy a box of snack cakes. But if you just want to buy one donut, you can just buy one donut. And then all of a sudden, instead of spending $3.99 on a whole package of snack cakes, you only spent 59 cents on that one donut. And that helps you feel better about your choice as well as it's less total dollars spent in that transaction. Which addresses the, like, even I've heard you talk about this at conferences, like it addresses the changing family the, the look of the family dynamic that we're seeing in society as well, uh, finally offering those portion-controlled products. Oh, absolutely. And that's something I don't think we can stress enough about one of the head, one of the tailwinds that Perimeter Bakery has actually, I wouldn't say reluctantly, but actually has gravitated towards. As I mentioned at the top of this, I've actually been working in the Perimeter Bakery space throughout my whole career. So it was one of the first departments I worked at when I joined Perishables Group in 0304. And one of the things we talked a lot about then was a huge initiative and actual positivity in the early 2000s to the department was that you couldn't bake at home and bring cookies or treats into a church gathering or a kid's birthday party or certainly to bring to school. And so in the early 2000s, we moved a lot to things that you could bring right into a child's, you know, a 20-ish, 20 to 30 person gathering. But in the last two decades, I really think the in-store bakery has also recognized that that's the place to have people bring just a few sweet treats or even savory treats with them to a smaller gathering. And those smaller gatherings, the in-store bakery is one of the only places you can bring a turnkey item. If you go to the ice cream aisle, if you go to center store, those package sizes and quantities are just so much larger than you can find an in-store bakery. So Actually, we've seen a lot of strength from retailers having different, especially in the cookie segment, having maybe just six super premium cookies, which is a perfect amount to bring to a game night with you know, four or five adults. We've also seen offerings of mini sizes, but going into a bit larger of a platter, because one of the big things we learned during the pandemic is that sometimes people don't want a cookie the size of your hand. Sometimes they feel a little bit better if they just have a cookie the size of a nibble. And all of those pieces, again, are places that the in-store bakery naturally does really well. 
And then the last piece, of course, where I think we've really seen this in the bread, buns, rolls, croissants, English muffin sector, is that the average American household currently only has two people present. Mm -hmm. When we say that, there's really only about 26% of US households that have multiple adults and multiple children. Because of that, this concept of the family being our primary household target has really evolved. And again, as the rest of the store has started to think about that, in-store bakery naturally already had smaller package sizes and with the service in bulk cases and even just in smaller packages for more grab and go or smaller price points, we're already well positioned for smaller households or the fact that there might only be one sweet treat or a carb eater in the household. And that's also favored in-store bakery in this shifting household dynamic. What I'm hearing you say is we're seeing the in-store bakery is a place where consumers are shopping to get inspired, to find something special. They're looking for smaller package size, smaller portion sizes. And then the retailer itself has a labor challenge in the back of the bakery. How are all of these things impacting what retailers are looking for from the commercial bakeries, our listeners that are supplying them, the, the breads, the rolls, the cakes, the donuts? Yeah, you know, the future of bakery is something I've been talking a lot about with the supplier and retail community. And believe me, the majority of the industry still operates the way all industries operate. What worked last year? What are we going to do next year? And certainly given the labor supply constraint and cost challenges, a lot of focus on margins and how we can continue to keep price points at a palatable amount. But I think the really interesting conversations that I'm seeing pick up momentum is again talking about where are the opportunities. In-store bakery has about 90%, 95% of U.S. households buying at least one thing at one store throughout the point of the year. However, the real opportunity for huge growth in this space is to increase frequency. We've done some excellent research with a major supplier who is partnering with retailers to talk about what is going to continue to increase bakery purchase frequency, as well as bakery purchase depth. And the answer to that comes in thinking about the department holistically. So labor challenges are a real issue. Most bakeries have hundreds, if not even approaching a thousand different SKUs in that space. And yet the challenge is that not every retailer is seeing that engagement and they're not seeing, let's say, someone who is a regular consumer of bread also try their muffins or let's say someone who's coming in for a breakfast solution, also occasionally picking up something for dessert. Those types of connectivity options are ways you can maximize your existing assortment and you can do it through signage, suggestive selling, internet promotions, offering a buy this, get that discount, all things that you can do without having to fundamentally change your back of house operation or the amount of labor that you have today. You're already putting up signage. You're already leveraging your perimeter placement when you put out a display table referencing right now, right? Pumpkin spice, everything. Adding, adding a buy this, get that feature add to your promotional strategy is a low cost way we can maximize that frequency and gain deeper depth of cross purchasing within the department. So that's something I've been advocating and talking a lot about with. And I know 
several suppliers are doing deeper research on which consumer groups are most likely to buy with which with what in order to try to test and learn on those kinds of scenarios. But I think, I hope that in just a few years, we're gonna see that the retailers doing those types of promotions are the ones having the best loyalty. And actually they're doing things using items they already have and processes already in place. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sense Slice Bread. I just wanted to hop in here really quickly to tell you about an opportunity from Soslin Publishing to gain insights into ingredient markets. You may have heard of and even attended Soslin Publishing's purchasing seminar that happens every summer. But did you know that this winter, Soslin Publishing is offering a 90-minute purchasing seminar winter webinar? On December 7th at 3 p.m. Eastern, you'll hear from market and weather experts on what they expect the future will bring for ingredients. Between war, inflation, and weather and logistics challenges, your purchasing managers need these insights more than ever. Go to purchasingseminar.com to register. And now back to the show. You talked a lot about consumer needs and the in-store bakery and how they've changed. How is that changing the product offerings that in-store bakeries are stocking in that section? You know, what's interesting is that we did an analysis for some of our work with IDDBA, where we do our annual state of bakery, which we recorded last month for their membership. And we dive deep into flavors, sizes, and segments all things we can get to within our data that look at those quote, trendy flavors, package sizes, ideas for innovation. And to be honest, we didn't see anything that was truly mind blowing because I think what we have to anchor on is we probably, my guess looking at the national assortment and then diving into specific retailers and looking at what they carry, odds are you probably already are carrying the foods that matter to your consumers. And frankly, if you're seeing things decline, an example I give is throughout the last several months of this year, one of the spaces of weakness in the in-store bakery has been pastries. And what we found in that is that really it's that most retailers in their pastry and Danish assortment are sticking relatively close to the vest. And honestly, the sizes and varieties are not varying from store to store. Guess what? One of the areas of consumer, one of the consumer groups that's been most interested in cutting out ancillary purchases in light of price inflation is the older consumer group. Even if they are necessarily not having income constraints, baby boomers and older generations are those where we've seen kind of scaled back on things that they feel are extra. Guess who also drastically over-indexes in traditional Danishes? Older consumers. So that's a situation where I actually think assortment mix-up and a change and an offering something that's new and unique and different would have stemmed that category from losing those sales. But for the most part, what's selling really well is more consumers discovering what is available in the in-store bakery. So where I think actually some of the newer and more interesting things that are happening, I hate to say it, aren't happening in traditional grocery retail where I'm seeing some really interesting things make headroads are in channels that have a more limited assortment. So for example, we've been seeing some really interesting gifting type products as well as 
things like a healthy, fresh granola or energy bite actually hitting in the club channel. And why those things I think are resonating better in the club channel than maybe in traditional grocers that even have those offerings is because they stand out. At a Costco or a Sam's Club, they only offer anywhere between 10 and 20 SKUs of what we would call traditional in-store bakery breakfast morning or dessert items. And so something new stands out huge. And again, I think it's harder to find those items that are healthier or that are maybe more for a gifting occasion in a very large set of items in the in-store bakery. And I think we just, people are carrying those items and then I hear that they don't do well. Well, they might be on the third shelf in a secondary rounder behind the traditional muffins or the traditional pastries. So how is someone who's used to buying a cliff bar from the you know energy and snack bar aisle gonna know you even have energy focused Omega Bite granola, right? I think that's why we're not necessarily seeing what's new hit well in the traditional grocery, it's being lost. Whereas in club, we also have seen some really interesting flavors that skew more ethnic, certainly more seasonal, certainly more wider variety of items also hit in some of the more specialty channels as those channels are looking to regain sales in light of the fact that we're back to more frequent trips to multiple outlets. Traditional grocery, we've been selling a lot of the same stuff forever, so some of the newer items aren't popping. So let's touch briefly on e-commerce. How is that impacting the in-store bakery? Because I know the perimeter has kind of struggled with adopting e-commerce and trying to find a way to make that work. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest trends in e-commerce was before the pandemic, Fresh was slow to adopt because there's still an overarching belief that consumers wanted to touch, feel, taste, and see. The pandemic required many people to open their eyes up to the convenience of online grocery. And honestly, we're still seeing across all of food and beverage at retail about just under 15% of all dollars for food and beverage at retail come through the e-commerce channels. Now, when we get into fresh foods, it's still below 5%. However, I think the issue with bakery is different than the issue in produce, meat, and deli. Produce, meat, and deli, obviously, especially produce and meat, you want to see the cut, you want to taste the food, you might not trust someone else to pick it out for you. Now, in those departments, we're actually seeing some consumers say, hey, you're better at picking it out than I am. And so they've actually enjoyed that their fresh food is being picked by a shopper who does it every day, as opposed to something they might pick themselves. We've also seen a lot of a movement towards offering and really having beautiful picture pages. I know in my meat department partners, they're investing a lot in how their items are showing up in the e-commerce sites because frankly, the rush in 2019 was let's just get the stuff up there, whether it's bakery produce or whatnot. Right, right. Now we're recognizing, wow, that's a whole different way to showroom and merchandise. And we really need to take advantage of that space because the more we educate consumers and give them ideas, the direct correlation to higher baskets there will be online. So merchandising online is very different than merchandising in store. Now, when it comes to bakery, I think the additional challenge is frozen and center store goods come up exactly next to, and in many cases before you even see the fresh item. A consumer is not necessarily gonna say a fresh 
brand artisan bread of blah, blah, blah. Like we label it within the store, right? They're going to type in bread. And then they're going to be frustrated that they have to call through page upon page upon things that are irrelevant as they look for that artisan baguette with XYZ claims and brands. I think we have to take into account for the first time ever, the perimeter will be evaluated right next to the frozen and center store aisle and really play up in an online merchandising environment why the perimeter choice makes sense. That means keyword coding, that means imagery, because to be honest, I, of course, I'm a bakery lover in addition to a bakery now analyst, and it's been incredibly frustrating to find fresh pastries. But I'll tell you, I actually have converted about 50% of my grocery shopping to online ordering, and I now am loyal to a specific .com grocer because they offer a unique pastry that I can't get anywhere else. And it came up because I honestly randomly one day typed in words I use when I order my Starbucks pastry. And lo and behold, this item that I'd never been offered before popped up that looked a lot and was a lot like what I used to order at the coffee shop. And now I order it every week. And I'm loyal to the rest of my basket because they're delivering that coffee shop experience at a better price point on my shelf before I sit at my home office every day. That's the power of merchandising online and it's a fresh bakery item I never would have found because when I typed in Danish or morning bakery or something like that, everything else I was given was center store. And luckily this .com, which is a very large .com, well known for suggestive selling in the rest of things outside of grocery happened to pop up. And yeah, I'm now loyal because every morning I look forward to that fresh bakery item and I can't get it anywhere else. That's how .com, whether you're a brick and mortar retailer or a peer play, if you're marketing or merchandising a very specific item, get it in people's baskets, carts, front pages. And because we're in the online environment, you can do that far more cost effectively because digital advertising has the benefit of being able to target based on past purchases and consumer behavior in a way an in-store experience never could. So I think that's why e-commerce, frankly, for Perimeter Bakery, where we've had challenges launching items that are unique and different, could be far more effective at becoming a loyalty driver for retailers than ever before. I mean, that's an incredible testimonial. And I know personally in my own life, I've been very frustrated in having to search very specifically the brand, the <laughs> artisan bread brand that I'm looking for that I know I can only find in the in-store bakery. And, and that trust factor of like, is everything being represented on this website? And is the shopper going to pick out the right pool that I'm looking for? Well, that is where brands, just real quick, I think it's where we have to rethink the brand in in-store bakery. The reason brands got prominent in the 20th century was a way to deliver consistency. And that is where that brand trust was originally born. In an online environment where you can shop just as easily between your local grocer, your specialty market, and your big box store, how are we going to say choose this over that when you might not yet have a relationship with that bakery? Brands can actually be a way to deliver that trust. And I hate to say this to our retail partners because I know that they're all incented to grow their private label. The reality, though, is that not everyone can say, I'm freshest in the marketplace. We've seen tremendous channel share gains made by big box retailers and differentiated smaller retailers by standing for something other than fresh. 
when you can get your batteries, Cheerios, laundry detergent anywhere at a value, how is your brand, your in-store bakery going to stand out and deliver a consistent message? If there's five guys in town and girls marketing themselves as your fresh local grocer, you got to stand for something else then. Maybe it's convenience. Maybe it's variety. Maybe it's the fact you're the only place to get this Epicurean level branded bread. Those types of things are going to stand out, not just that you're freshest. So, Jonna, as we're wrapping up our conversation, what would you say are the opportunities for commercial bakers to either increase their sales and their business in the in-store channel, or where are the opportunities for them to better serve the retailer customer, the in-store bakery customer? Yeah, I mean, for me, the number one thing I would do if I was still on the supplier side and not working for a market research firm, and I'm saying this 100% genuinely, I would look at who is not buying today and how I deliver something to them to capture that unmet need customer. So whether that be, let's say, obviously many of you know, I I was with a a major bread brand and supplier and was bread category uh, director there for a while. Really, we were always, always having amazing things that our chefs and our bakers were coming up with or were going through our, our food service stores. But I wish I would have had the power to look at who's buying us today, who's not buying us from a consumer standpoint, and where with our retail partners are they not capturing people who are shopping in their stores to buy our food. And then I'd work backwards. Once I had that insight, the rest of my strategy and plan became clear. Because frankly, at this point, especially after three years of tremendous tumult, the people who have stayed with your brand, your product, your store, you're probably not going to do much to alienate them. But the only path to growth is going to be finding the people who you haven't converted, haven't gotten to buy as frequently, and deliver the foods, experiences, whatever it may be, to get those people. Growth is going to have to come from capturing the unconverted and the non-frequent shopper. Well, Jana, thank you so much for joining us on Since Sliced Bread again. It's always a pleasure to have you. And thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. Thank you so much for having me, a topic I love to talk about. So I really appreciate everyone listening and Charlotte and Sosslin for giving me the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Scent Sliced Bread. If you'd like to join the conversation, leave us a voicemail at 816-968-7772. Or you can record a message using the Voice Memo app on your smartphone and email it to podcast at sozlin.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Scent Slice Bread on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and drop us a review. Scent Slice Bread is a baking and snack podcast produced by Taryn Parker and hosted by Charlotte Atchley.